Hey guys, welcome to the James Gang Bible Study. We are in for some good teaching tonight. Glad that you all are here. I'm sure others will be arriving in the next few minutes. I'm going to introduce our speaker and then pray a brief word of prayer and then turn it over to him. Bill Miller and his lovely wife Sherry moved here from Miami a year and a half ago. They have a ministry called Cornerstone Financial Counselors, and they help people get out of debt, help people get their debts under control, and help people manage their finances, as well as other things as the Lord opens the door. They moved here from Miami, although Bill's roots are in Texas. His wife's roots are in Miami. He lived in Miami for years. and So they moved here. They've had a radio ministry. They've pastored a church in Miami, and we are just thrilled to have them here in the city, and they worship with us here at Generations when they're able to. He is the Secretary-Treasurer of the Lake Granbury Ministerial Alliance now. We are blessed to have him here with us. So at this time, we will pray, and then we'll turn it to Bill Miller. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together and feast on your word. We just pray, Lord, you use Bill to impart the truth to us. God, may this be an enjoyable time for him as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Bill Miller, come right on. You know, I'm real honored to be here tonight. I uh, was blessed to come to a couple of these Bible studies when y'all were getting started. And then for whatever reason, we had other things come up and I haven't been able to come back. But it's real pleasure to be here, you know, God ordained from the foundation of the world that I would be here tonight and y'all would be here and we would share some time together and I've known for a while that someday I would share here, you know, and I didn't know what it was going to be about or even if it was going to be on the book of James, but it's interesting that it's turning out to be something on financial scriptures <laughs> and that's probably no accident that, that that's happened. Um Let's see, where shall we start? Why don't we read the verses that we're going to go in? And then I, I want to back up and give some background, and we'll go into them in some depth. But the one, we're, the one the verses we're going to look at tonight are in chapter 5 of the book of James. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. Some of you all may have different translations, and if you see a, a different perspective than what I'm going to read here, then by all means, raise your hand and let's, let's look at the other translations, because... Sometimes other translations shed light on a particular issue. <coughs> several translations to get a, a more accurate perspective. This is a real interesting bunch of verses here. It has to do directly with wealth and the use of wealth and what can happen if it goes wrong. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Come now, you, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Starts out pretty, pretty, pretty rough. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Anybody know what that means? Is that the way you pronounce that, brother? <coughs> Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. numbers. That's right. Lord of armies or Lord of hosts. That's what that means. So we know who that is, right? Verse 5. <laughs> you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. That's the verse 6 you were talking about. Thank God for verse 6. <laughs> 
So that's pretty much of a of an attack, it seems like, on on wealth and being wealthy. And I've heard those, especially the first two verses there, uh, taught that being wealthy is something to avoid because uh, the interpretation of these verses is that this is an indictment of being wealthy. It, it's something that if you're in the, the new covenant that you should avoid being wealthy. But before I get into that, I want to give you a little background of where I'm coming from so that you'll understand. Uh, by the way, did anybody have any other translation there that you had different wording that would would help us understand those verses a little better? Anybody? Mm-hmm. King James? Anybody have a King James? Huh? I pretty much all blasting right there. Yeah. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Reap your eyes. Rich guys. Um, I want to tell you about first of all about Cornerstone, the, the ministry that that I founded in 1987. We're in our 27th or 28th year of ministry, whatever. However many years that is, is it 27 or 28? Our operating name is Cornerstone Financial Counselors. Our corporate name is Make a Way Ministry, and uh, it's it's a national ministry, but it's a little national ministry if you know what I mean. We have several websites and. Uh, our forte is helping people who have severe credit problems, like if they're in court or creditors, collection agents, or people like that are after them. We have a lady, for example, in Miami. We still have many clients in Miami. Most of the people that call us are calling from Miami because we used to be on the radio there, and you know we had, as Alan mentioned, we had a, a, a group there, and so we're, we're better known in Miami than, than we are here in Granbury, even though I think... You know, we're meeting a lot of people here, and as time goes on, we're we're getting established here. We're 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 real happy with the way things are going. We love Granberry, by the way. This is a special place. God brought us here. We sold our house in Miami in a down market and got full full value for it. It was all engineered by God. He brought us out here uh, Labor Day, we, uh, 2012, and so we know that we're here to do something in Granberry, for Granberry, with Granberry. We have a Facebook page called. Um, what do we call that? Uh, Granberry, what is that called? It's called, I forget the address, but it, but it has to do with getting out of debt. Uh, debt Freedom Here, I think, or Granberry Debt Freedom, I believe, is what the Facebook page is called. And especially for Granberry, and we're, you know, we're growing in the number of followers. But, but Make-A-Way Ministries is, um, is a ministry that tries to focus on a biblical overview of finances. You, you can get lost in finances if you just try to look at this scripture and that scripture and this scripture. And that's what's happened a lot of times in the body of Christ is that we take a scripture and try to make a theology out of that scripture. And whole theologies have been made just based on one or two scriptures. I remember hearing a guy, if I, if I would mention his name here, you would know the name and I won't mention it. He's dead now. But I heard him say on the radio one time, that wealth was for Jewish people in the Old Covenant. But for people in the New Covenant, we have something different, which is not wealth, it's something else. And it's something that we look forward to in the future. Certainly we have something to look forward to in the future. But I heard this guy say this on the radio one day, and I said, well, I wonder where the scripture is, where he got that theology. Where did he get that? And I can't find it. Um, you can draw some conclusions 
by just looking at a scripture here, a scripture there. So what we tried to do in our ministry, and I write a newsletter called Prosperous Life Newsletter. The word prosperity is a little bit controversial. I want to get into that tonight while we're here. Um, but I've called it Prosperous Life Newsletter. Now we're in our 17th continuous year publication of that newsletter. You're on our list. And um, <clears throat> that newsletter talks about finances from a biblical perspective. I don't know if you know this, maybe some of you do, but there are more than 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that deal with finances, property, and stewardship. And it's the most popular subject in the Bible. By a factor of three to one, the next most popular subject is like faith, and there may be 800 or 700 scriptures on that subject, but over 2,000, actually 2,350 scriptures just on the subject of finances. Two-thirds of the parables that Jesus gave us, there's 38 parables or so, Two-thirds of those are about stewardship, finances, your your treasure is where your heart is, your heart is where your treasure is, that's one of them, you know, one, one of the principles that Jesus gave us. But um, it is by far the most, the most popular subject, if that's the right word to use. It's mentioned the most, it's talked about the most, and it's important to look at the whole picture. That's what I want to say. It's important to look at the whole picture, especially when you look at scriptures like this that are in James. What's the whole context? If we just look at this, we're going to draw some conclusions, and the conclusions are going to be wrong because we're going. If we look at the whole thing, um, we're going to we're going to draw different conclusions. My my philosophy is that we need to be careful not only in the area of finances, but in all areas of our Christian walk, about letting traditions govern our lives. If you look in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, can you look that up a minute? Some, somebody read that verse, because it's important. <clears throat> Mark 7, verse 13. Making the word of God of no effect to your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. Mm. The concept there is that if we get bogged down in traditions, if we believe things because our father told us something and our grandfather told everybody's believed it, and we just are repeating what somebody else told us, then what that scripture says to me is that's when it... Those traditions bring the word of non-effect. We need to find out what does the word say and then take ownership of that for our lives. What does it really say? Are we saying something and repeating something, especially in the area of finances? That's, that's what we're talking about tonight. Especially in the area of finances because somebody told us this or because we found out about it when we studied it and we determined that this is what the word of God says about finances. Amen? You follow what I'm trying to say? We, we, the word promises, There's God has promised us certain things in the area of finances all the way through this scripture, from the book of Genesis all the way through to the end, and we need to know what those promises are. We need to know them so that we can take ownership of them, so they can become our property, and we can say, yes, God, you promised this, therefore I'm going to release my faith on this promise, and I'm going to believe for it for my life. If I don't know what those promises are, how can I release my faith over them? If you tell somebody in a sermon, the Word of God says this, but you don't show me where it is, 
and you don't help me um, take ownership of it, then it hasn't done me any good. Chances are when I walk out the door within two hours, I will have forgotten the principle that you preached about. Um, a lot of times I'll take notes just so that I don't forget stuff because the enemy is going to try to come when you're preaching, uh, you know, a couple hours after you preach, the enemy is going to come and try to help me forget it. And I don't want to forget stuff. If, if you look in Mark chapter 4, uh, Mark chapter 4, not, we're, we're not going there tonight, but in Mark chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 13, it talks about the parable of the of the four kinds of soil. And if you go read read that read that whole thing there, you'll find out that one of the problems is is that the enemy comes to steal the word. As soon as you hear the word, the enemy comes to try to steal it. So we have a responsibility not to let him do that. We have responsibility to do whatever is necessary when we hear the word to make it hard to forget it. So we write it down, we start using it, we take ownership of it. When we can take ownership of it, then we can release our faith on it. There's two mindsets that I see, or that I have seen, just to generalize. There's two mindsets in, in, in the Word. And well, let, me, let, me, let me put that a different way. There's two mindsets that people have seen about the Word. And one of them is true, and maybe one of them is not true. Let's take the mindset of the Old Testament. The Old Testament says that wealth and prosperity is a blessing of God. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11, want to look there? Anybody? Y'all probably know this stuff. One of the things I was impressed by when I visited these Bible studies a couple of times is how much you guys know. It's kind of awesome. What chapter and verse again? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11. Y'all maybe should be teaching me. I'm not sure. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Now, my translation, anybody have New American Standard? Nothing wrong with that translation he just read. But let me just read this. My translation, the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. That's the word I wanted to focus on here. In the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beasts, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a discussion of which, for which the first 14 verses talk about the blessings of God for obeying God. Right? If you obey God, you've got blessings. If you disobey God, you've got curses. From verse 15 all the way over to verse 68 are the curses. A lot more verses about curses than there are about the blessings, right? <laughs> A lot more. But there's some principles that come out of those blessings. God said they're a blessing. Over in the curses, for example, it says in the curses, God said it's a curse to be in death. I see that as a curse, God says. If you don't obey me, you're going to wind up in debt. Well, we willingly go into debt now, right? That's the problem of our society is that we willingly put ourselves under the curse. We willingly put ourselves in something that God said is a curse that's going to happen to you if you disobey me. Um, there's another verse there. Let's look at um, it's 40. Uh, let me see here. Stay in that same Deuteronomy 28. Let's see here. 
28, verse 48. Have some scriptures listed here, so let's let's not look for them anymore. Forty, what did I say? Forty-eight. Uh-huh. So read that one. What does that say? Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the need of everything. And He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. So you said in the need of everything, and my translation said in the lack of everything. So we see. I've seen, believe me, I have counseled tens of thousands of people over all these years. People people have come into my office. They have been suicidal. They have been defeated. They have been on the edge of divorce. They've been, it's amazing what financial problems can cause people to have to go through. It causes anxiety. It causes sleeplessness. People have been on drugs because they couldn't handle the pressure of finances. And literally, we've had people come in our office and tell us they were thinking about suicide because of financial problems. It's, it, it's a big thing. And lack and insufficiency, which is what this verse is talking about, is common in the body of Christ. It's common. You hear me? It's common. I, I, we, we've talked to a lot of people that are, are not walking in Christian victory in the area of finances. That, those are the people that come to us. We almost never see anybody in all those years who's walking in victory. They come to our office because they're having a problem, right? And um, so at least for people having a problem, I know pretty much, you know, what what I'm talking about because we've talked to a lot of people. But here God says that that insufficiency and lack that those people are dealing with, plus the credit problem that's a couple of verses up here, it's in verse 44, where God says about lending their, um, you know, Part of the curse is that you would be in, in debt, and another part is that you would be in lack. Another part is that um, you know that you're not going to have enough, and um, that's part of the curse. This Old Testament mindset, if you will, is that God's intention was for the Jewish people to be wealthy, so they would be an example for the nations, and they would draw people into the kingdom of God. Right? Well, if they didn't obey, He had another way to show people. Which is to be afraid of God by by the curse coming on the people for their disobedience. Now, there's another scripture that goes along with that. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter eight, this is all just to set the stage for what I'm going to say when we get into James tonight. Just a little background so you know where I'm coming from. And, and if you don't agree with what I'm saying, it's okay. I don't have perfect knowledge on the word. I study it, and in this area is my area of study. You know, I focus on this, but that doesn't mean I have all the answers. So if you don't like what I'm saying or you want to ask a question, by all means, let me hear it. I'm not here to debate, but I'm here to, you know, try to answer questions. In verse 18, this is a scripture that's real important, I think, to this mindset that I'm trying to describe. Is there anybody else who wants to read that scripture? It has a different translation. JP's doing a great job. Anybody? Verse 18. Go ahead. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. So that says, remember something. He's pointing this out here. Remember that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, so this is Moses writing this. And he's saying here, remember this, remember, 
The Lord your God is the one who is giving you what? Power to get wealth. Power. What, what's in that word power? Power. He's giving you the power. Ability. The ability. Okay. Any other word goes there? Tools, resources. Tools, resources. How about authority? Authority, because sometimes the Hebrew words and Greek words for power and authority in, in English, you know, it's the same root word. So power and authority are pretty much the same thing. So it's God that's given people the power and authority to make wealth. Why? So we can drive a big car, so we can have a big house, so we can establish our own kingdom. So so we can be an example to others. Well, read, read the rest of that verse. What does it say? Because it tells you specifically. Verse 18. Rick, can, can you read your translation? Um, the entire verse? Yeah, but, if you want to. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Okay. So one of the purposes of, of God's wealth, he says, I have given you the ability or the power to obtain wealth. For what purpose? In order to establish God's covenant on the earth. This is an important principle. It's not to consume on ourselves. It's not to make ourselves rich, although rich is a relative word. It's to establish the covenant of God on the earth. Are we doing that today? By the way, slide forward into the new covenant. Are we doing that now? Are we supposed to be doing that now? Establishing the new covenant on the earth, right? Is that the mission of the church? Look at the end of Matthew. I'm skipping around, Pastor, because um, the Lord leads us. He just leads us. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses... Uh, verse, um, 18, 18, 19, 20. What, what are we doing there? What's the, who's doing that, first of all? Is that the church? Is that the church, guys? Yes. The church that says there that we're to go forth and make disciples of all nations and all that kind of stuff. Is that the church that's being given this assignment, right? right. It's called the Great Commission. A lot of people call it that. It's not called that here, but that's what people call it. What does it say? Go and make it. First of all, all authority has been given to Jesus. It says in verse 18, he has all authority on earth. Oh, it's been given to him. Upon his resurrection, he was given all power and authority on earth. The devil doesn't have it anymore. The devil's still here, but he doesn't have authority and power anymore. That's another teaching, by the way, we could do one of these days. But Jesus has all authority and power. And he's the head of the church. doesn't say that here, but we know that from other verses. Now, what do we do with that authority and power? 19, go therefore, since Jesus has all power and authority, go therefore and do what? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Keep going. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. And that's in red letters. Jesus is talking there, right? He, this is what he said about himself. This is, I have the authority. I have the power. This has all been given to me because I've been glorified. I've been, I've been through 
crucifixion, I resurrected, uh, I've done everything that I came here to do, and now that I have done that, I have been given all power and authority. And now in that, therefore, you guys, church, you go and you make disciples of all people, and et cetera, et cetera. So that's our assignment in the New Testament to establish the covenant, the new covenant, which is the covenant with Christ, covenant between the Father and the Son. Now, the Old Testament is clear that God looked at prosperity and wealth as a blessing for people. It can't be questioned because there's so many scriptures. I just went over a couple of them. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about prosperity. Proverbs is full of them. Psalms is full of them. At the same time, there are warnings in the Old Testament not to misuse wealth, not to use it the wrong way. Don't chase after uh, get-rich-quick stuff. Um, don't rely on wealth. Don't sit on your wealth. Uh, don't, mis don't mistreat the poor. There's hundreds of scriptures in the Old Testament about finances. Nobody questions that God sees prosperity and wealth in the Old Testament as a blessing. It's when we get into the New Covenant that we start to get confused about it. The Jewish people didn't question it. They said, oh, God has empowered me to be wealthy. And they've done a really good job. They have, how many thousands of years since Moses have they been working? And they're successful as a group of people. They're very successful. They're successful business people. They're successful with money. They understand how it works. They believe that they're anointed by God. They're equipped by God. They're, they, they're specially, uh, um, what's the right word? Uh, they, they have special abilities that God has given them in order to make wealth. Now, do they all are they all faithful in using that wealth to establish the covenant of God? No, they misuse it and they violate scriptures just like you and I do. But let's move now to the New Testament because the New Testament is is where we start to break down a little bit. When, when, the New, when, when the New Testament, when, when the church was young, if you read the book of Acts, a lot of stuff happened in the book of Acts. The word says that the apostles turned the world upside down as they went out and they, they reached Gentiles. And all of a sudden now, Gentiles came in under this new covenant. In the old covenant, we didn't have so many Gentiles. This was Jewish people. And uh, they lived under the law. But here, we, here now in the new covenant, we bring Gentiles in. And Gentiles didn't have a history of being successful financially. And so they come into the kingdom of God, uh, and, and, and this is where the confusion starts. It wasn't but 300 years later that, that Roman Catholicism took over, and I'm not here to bash Roman Catholicism, I don't do that. But they had a system of teaching that prevailed on the earth all the way through to the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Re Reformation started in 1517. Up until that time, there was Roman Catholicism. That's pretty much it. There were some remnants around here and there, but if you weren't a Catholic, you pretty much, you know, were separated from Christianity. Or um, Some people say even if you were a Catholic, you were separated from Christianity. I'm not saying that, but, but they had a way of teaching. They, they had a mindset that, frankly, isn't scriptural. And even after the Reformation in 1517, we have um, 
um, Luther, Martin Luther, I couldn't think of his name for a second. He's nailing his 95 theses on on the church in Wittenberg, and it, it all started from there, right? There wasn't, what one day there were no Protestants. He goes and nails his 95 theses. All of a sudden now, that starts a whole process. He gets excommunicated from the Catholic Church, and we have Protestantism all of a sudden. And uh, unfortunately, I believe, I see, that Protestantism has brought in some of those root teachings from the Catholic Church into Protestantism. And we have, especially in the Gentile community, we have the Old Testament, no, we don't have the Old Testament um, mentality. What we have is a Catholic Gentile mentality that says it's okay to be poor. As a matter of fact, it's virtuous to be poor. In fact, Humility is good, and if you're the only way to be pure, poor, the only way to be humble is to be poor. I, I'm just telling you what, what what was taught. It's still being taught. It's still being taught in those circles that poverty is a desirable thing. That if you know certain people have been called by God to be poor, but I can't find that in Scripture. I'm not saying it can't happen on an individual basis. Maybe it can, but we have that, and we have in the church, in the church, a tolerance for lack and insufficiency that I don't think we should have. I believe that if God called the people of the Old Covenant and enabled them to be wealthy or to receive wealth, to use wealth, to acquire wealth, to establish the covenant, how much more do we need that same thing with the New Covenant? It costs money to establish the New Covenant. It costs money to do the things of God. It costs money. That's why we tithe and give offerings. I've tithed ever since I was a Christian 20, 30 years ago. My goodness, the time's flying. Because I believe that's the right thing to do. I believe that, that the local church needs my tithe. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure i got a room full of tithers here. But, but I believe that that's a calling for us uh, believers that we should be tithers and we should be givers and we should be generous. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, but how else are we going to establish the covenant if we're not generous with our giving? It's not God equips us. He gives us ability to obtain wealth. There, there are no scriptures that say this is for the Old Testament, but in the New Testament we no longer have that ability. God withheld that ability. He took that ability away from There are no scriptures that say that. So I don't believe it. Unless I can find it in the Word, it says, oh, this is not a promise of God anymore, then I'm not going to accept it. I mean, you can teach me, you can try to teach me this, but, but I, and, and there are many teachers that, that have tried to teach that. You'll, you'll see them all the time. Trying to teach that we have a different dispensation in the New Covenant Church. And it's, it's true, we do have a new dispensation. We have Jesus, and we have a future. And they didn't have a future then, or they were unsure of their future in the Old Covenant. We're sure of our future. We know that someday we're going to be with Christ. But while we're here, we need to be establishing the New Covenant. We need to be establishing on the earth, bringing the kingdom of God uh, to, um, to the nations of the world, expanding the kingdom of God on the earth. We had the same mandate that Adam had in the garden. What did God tell Adam in the garden? Anybody remember? Be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion. Thank you. Exactly right. 
and uh, and increase until you take over the whole place. It says fill it, doesn't it? Doesn't it say in there fill the earth, right? Well, are, have we filled the earth with the kingdom of God yet? Now you have the kingdom of God in you, right? So in order to fill the earth with the kingdom of God, that means everybody here's got to get saved somehow. So we got a lot of work to do because of seven million people, seven billion people that are on the earth today. Only 2.3 billion, I think it is, are Christians, profess Christianity, and a lot of those maybe aren't really Christians. I don't know. That's between them and God. But um, Well, I just want to say I don't think that everybody's supposed to be rich. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that somewhere between these two mindsets is where the real, the real new covenant is. And, and I, that, that's what I want to talk about as we get into these scriptures. Um, Let me just talk a minute about the word prosperity. Uh, how many of y'all have a negative reaction to the word prosperity when you first hear it? You don't have negative? Nobody? God, you guys are exceptional. This is great. <laughs> I tried the lack. It wasn't as much. The lack. <laughs> oh, I just want to tell you, I have I have been banned from one radio station in Florida because the name of our newsletter was Prosperous Life Newsletter. They would not let me on the radio station. They would not let me advertise on that radio station, even advertise. I wanted to spend my money there in advertising. They wouldn't even let me advertise. Um, then there was a Christian radio station in Miami. And uh, we used to advertise a lot on that. That's that's how we built our ministry was advertising on Christian Christian radio. And I would go on, you know, and be on their programs once in a while. And but but mainly we were we had spots. We had thirty second spots twice a day for years. But um, I was instructed that I was not to ever use the word prosperity on the air or in any spot because if I did, they would get hundreds of telephone calls from certain denominations. I'm not going to mention those denominations, but they would object to the use of the word prosperity on the air. So for years, years, I did not use that word. I wasn't allowed to. There was another time I was on another radio station in Miami, and it was a, in more recent years, it was an AM radio station, and I'm being interviewed by this guy. And so we're talking, and everything's going great. It seems like a good interview to me. I'm answering all those questions anyway so far. And I let out the word prosperity, and within 10 seconds, the guy goes to like a break, and he frowns at me like this, you know, and, uh, to let me know that he didn't like the use of that word. And when he came back on the air, within 30 seconds, the interview was over. And I was told, well, that's the end of it. Thank you very much for coming. I was never invited back, even though I knew personally uh, many of the people there, including the manager of the station, because I used the word prosperity. And um, I, I, I really feel compelled to talk about that word. I spent the whole last year and plus a couple of months before that into 2012 defending the use of the word prosperity in my newsletter. And um, the problem is that there's some folks on Christian television that misuse the word. You know, they, they talk about, uh, if you'll send us, 
$100, you'll get back a million dollars or whatever, and you're going to be prosperous for the rest of your life just if you send us $100 or whatever. You know, I'm exaggerating, but because of all those unscriptural ways of taking up money, they unfortunately use the word prosperity. And so if you go out on the Internet these days and you look around, you'll find a whole section on the Internet called Prosperity Gospel. And if you've heard those words, I, you know, I understand where they come from, and I'm not, I'm not fussing about the criticism because the criticism is warranted. But, but here's, here's what bothers me. First of all, the word prosperity we just saw in Deuteronomy is a blessing. It's a blessing. God says it's a blessing. Gospel, the word gospel means the almost too good to be true news. That's what that word means. So you've got a blessing and the almost too good to be true news. We call it prosperity gospel, and it's something negative. So something good was something good, and we produce a negative. Well, we have a huge percentage of the body of Christ now that are so focused on this prosperity gospel thing that they've lost sight of the fact that prosperity is a blessing. Did you know that the word prosperity is mentioned more than 90 times in Scripture? 90 times, and it's always in a positive context. It's not a negative thing. I don't say that it's not misuse. I, you know, I grant that. Those guys, some of those guys, not, not all of them, just a few of them, misuse the, the word prosperity. But that doesn't cancel the fact that it's a blessing. It's a blessing from God. We have a couple of denominations that unfortunately are so focused on the prosperity gospel part of it that they've forgotten that prosperity is a blessing and therefore they're not expecting prosperity to come because they're focused on it as something negative instead of something positive. You know what you're going to attract into your life? It's what you focus on. If you're focused on positive stuff, if you're focused on the word stuff, if you're focused on the things of God stuff, those are the things that are going to come into your life. If you're focused on negative stuff, if you're focused on uh, your problems, if you're focused on your lack and your shortage or what, whatever you're going through in your life, if you allow yourself to focus on those things, you're going to have fear, you're going to be anxious, you're going to have negative lifestyle instead of a positive lifestyle. God wants you to have a positive lifestyle by focusing on his stuff. What you focus on is what you get. I don't know if you all have experienced that same thing, but that's the way it works. Now, <clears throat> I hope that's enough said about, about prosperity. I just want to get across the point tonight that prosperity is still a blessing. It's not just about finances. It's about every area of life, spirit, soul, and body. Finances, though, can't be excluded from prosperity in the New Covenant. You can't exclude prosperity because if you, I mean, financial prosperity, because if you're in lack, you're going to have trouble living in peace. You're going to have trouble having the peace that passes all understanding if you don't have enough to cover your needs. You don't have enough money to, to, to meet your obligations. Paul said, I know somebody might bring this up. Paul said, I think I wrote this scripture down in Philippians chapter 4, he'd learned to be content in all things. Let's, let's look at that. Because that scripture is often used to say, well, look, Paul said that he could be content with, with lack and insufficiency, so we, we have the same ability Paul had. 
Well, let's look what he said. He said in verse 11, I'm looking at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. So he had to learn it, first of all. It didn't come to him naturally. Oh, there, did I go too fast? No, that's there. It ain't going to come natural that we're going to be content with lack and insufficiency. It's, it's, it's not a natural thing. We have to learn, to, first of all, to be content. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean happy? Am I going to be happy with that lack and insufficiency? God said it's a curse. Am I happy that the curse is operating in my life? No. I can deal with it, though. I can trust God that he's going to come and deliver me out of it, and I can be content because I know that he's promised to take to take it out of my life, so I release my faith on it. But let's look at what it said. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live, my, my translation says prosperity. Paul said, I have learned how to live in prosperity. How did he ever have prosperity? Because people sent offerings to him. Philippians were one of his big supporters. They sent offerings to him. We can look at a couple of verses in a minute. How late am I supposed to go? I don't want to talk too much till eight. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're good. Okay. So he says here, prosperity in it, and I have learned the secret of being filled and being hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So he had both things. He had sometimes prosperity and sometimes he didn't. If you've been in ministry, uh, you can you can identify with this. You can line right up with this, right? Sometimes it's peace, sometimes it's pain. He says, um, he says, but I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, speaking to the Philippians, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. What does that say? What does your translation say? I'm sorry, what? Verse 14. No, just 14. Share with me in my distress. You have done well. He tells the Philippians, I've learned to be content. I've learned to deal with this. I, I, I can handle it. However, you did really good bringing me... That offering, because it helped me be prosperous. Really, that's what that says. You did well. You did the right thing. Uh, don't let me discourage you, by the way, if you'd like to bring another. I'm just putting words in his mouth, but isn't that sort of what he's saying there? You did well. He doesn't say don't bring me the offering. He says you did well. <laughs> I want to give you a couple of scriptures, since I only have like 15 minutes. I won't go over these, but I just want to give you a couple of them. If you want to make a note of them, you can look these up on in your... These are New Covenant scriptures, and they have to do with prosperity. And then I'll move on. The first one is 2 Corinthians verse eight. I mean, chapter 8, verse 9. That one says... Um, now, I want to tell you that, that the context of... 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is that Paul has taken up an offering. Don't try or don't let somebody tell you that this is something other than finances. It, it can be bigger. It, 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 in the New Covenant, it can always be more than just finances. But unfortunately, so many teachers try to take finances out of the equation, and he's, he's talking about taking up an offering here. In verse uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, talking about an offering, he says, Jesus became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I didn't write this. It's there. The scripture's there. Is everybody supposed to be rich? No. I'm saying, though, that this is a repeat of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. God's given you the power to obtain wealth. 
Again, one, one of the things on that scripture where it says Christ became poor that we might obtain wealth is, you know, he left the riches of heaven, but anything on earth would have been poor. Right, right. Yeah. Not that he was destitute as the poor people that Judas was talking about and, uh, and that because uh, his ministry was not a poor ministry in my, my point of view and my belief. It isn't. Jesus owned a home. We, you know, if we had more time, we could talk. He owned a home. He had good clothes. He had a treasure. He collected money. Um, you know, yeah, the apostles there's, didn't know that Judas was stealing because it was funny. Yeah. Another scripture that I want to leave with you tonight is 2 Corinthians, the next chapter, which would be chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Look at that on, a, on another occasion. Um, it, it's talking there about the other part. If, if, if one of the reasons in the New Covenant is God has given you the ability to obtain wealth, for what purpose? To establish the kingdom of God on the earth. One purpose. The second purpose is in order to bless other people. And you'll find that in chapter 9. Those are the two main uses of money. You have the power to attract wealth. You have the ability. You have whatever you need as long as God's involved. And you, you don't have it by yourself. Jesus, in, in the New Covenant, Jesus has to be involved with you in order for this to happen. But if you let him be a part of it, it will happen. And as long as you are a channel for the wealth, and you don't begin to pile it up. If you start to pile it up, then we get over into James, and we're just about to talk about that. As long as you're using the money that God sends your way, the wealth that God sends your way to establish the covenant, in other words, seek first the kingdom of God, right? To establish the covenant and to bless other people, then he's going to be happy with it. Um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 there it talks about that we've been redeemed from the curse, all those things that we looked at over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. We've been redeemed from those things. I don't have to live that way. I don't have to live that way. As long as I've uh, received Jesus as Lord, I have a new way to live. I've been redeemed from the curse, which makes me subject uh, and, and have the, the right to expect that the blessings of God are going to come on me. Those first 14 verses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, those are blessings as God sees them. They're, they're all blessings. I, I want them all. Um, and I don't want any of those curses. I don't like any of the curses. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to have a stuffy nose like I've had for the last several days. I don't like that. And I'm telling it to get off my body. At the same time, I'm commanding wealth to come into my ministry so that we can use it to do the things that God's called us to do. Philippians, we already went over. So, what are, what is Jesus teaching in the new uh, in the new covenant about money? It's not about don't have money. It's not about stay away from money. It's not about uh, don't have wealth. Don't be successful. This is what we've been taught, Gentile believers, for fifteen hundred years. But that's not what Scripture says. Jesus is teaching, don't depend on riches. It's you don't, you don't depend on them because if you have riches and you start depending on them instead of on God, you're going to get in trouble. You don't love money, root, you're the root of all evil. Uh, there's a love of money. Love of money is the root of all evil. What, that's what the New Covenant teaches. Don't love money. You can't love it. Don't store up wealth. Um, Jesus taught over and over and over and over again that we are to become good stewards of money. That was his main message about finances is how do you handle the money? Because I can't trust you with the money 
to build the kingdom of God and to bless other people until you learn how to become a good steward. How do we learn how to become a good steward? By mastering the 2300 or whatever it is principles in here. You know, and it takes a while to do that. I'm still working on it. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm even a third of the way through there, but but that's what we do is by meditating on the word and learning the principles, the, the, the financial principles that are left here, I think a good place to start is with the parables, trying to understand the parables. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about money? What are his standards? What are his uh, What is his direction? Um, if, if we can understand those parables, we'll be a lot of the way into, you know, where we should be when it comes to managing wealth. Another principle in the New Covenant is that wealth comes to those who are the most capable. Right? Remember this, the parable of the, the three slaves with the talents? We had one that got ten talents, was it, and one with five and one with one. Who's the one that got all the talents? It was the one who went out and invested the money and made the most for the master. Is that right? What happened to the one who had who buried it in the ground? Taken away. It's taken away, right? That's a principle Jesus taught. So the one who can take the money that God provides and put it into the kingdom of God to make the kingdom of God grow instead of your own personal, our own personal kingdoms grow, those are the ones who are going to be given more. The ones who are going to lose what they have and get less are the ones who, you know, who can't figure that out. So that's my background, and I only have a few minutes left. Now let's go to James. Did I make my point? Okay. You built your case. I built my case. Limited time. You know, I hadn't read these scriptures in a while, and I appreciate your get me to focus on them because I've heard these scriptures. I said when I started out, I've heard these scriptures taught in support of that that mindset that says we should all be content with our poverty and insufficiency. Because look at what happens to rich people. And if you just read the first two verses, and I've heard I don't know how many times I've heard good teachers just use those first two verses in support of of oh, you see in the new covenant we're not supposed to be to, to aspire to wealth and to be prosperous. Because look what it says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the misery which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. As I read these verses this time, I never had done this before, I found eight things here that we can point out real quick. Eight things here that if any of that stuff is coming into your life, if you're at a place where you're beginning to obtain wealth, and any of these eight things are beginning to manifest in your life, there, there's a danger, right? God wants us to be prosperous. He wants us to be wealthy for the purposes that I've said. But the flesh is always going to have a tendency to go against the direction of God and to do things, you know, that are pleasing to our own um, our own desires. And so we, we have to, if we're going to be good stewards of money, we have to examine closely how we're handling our money to be sure that we, you know, that we on a consistent basis are handling according to Scripture. Um, first of all, you should know that in these verses, I read, I don't know, 10 or 15 commentaries online to see what they were all saying. They were all consistent. You know, there, there wasn't uh, a difference of opinion. 
that I found anyway about all these different writers, and that's unusual that you find pretty much unanimity on what these verses are talking about. Who was he talking to? Well, he's really talking to two people. There, some of the commentaries said, well, he's really talking to the rich Jewish people of that day, and he is talking to Jewish people, uh, but, but those rich people that he's talking to in these verses were basically unbelievers, or they were secular Jews. They, they were rich Jewish people who had abused things in certain ways that we're going to see in these remaining scriptures. He's also talking, though, to believers. And we'll see here at, at, at the end, he's going to say, these rich people have hurt you and they've done these things to you. But I want to encourage you, believers, that you um, be patient because God's going to take care of this. God's going to straighten this situation out. Don't you think for a minute that these people cannot pay you or that they can put you in debtor's prison or whatever is going to go on here. And, 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 the, and, and, and that God's not going to protect you. That God's not going to advocate for you. That God's not going to um, set things straight. So, uh, if you look at verse 7, which is after the verses I'm talking about, you see, this is where he's talking to the brethren. He says, therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Well, that's a long time it's turned out, because this was written quite a while ago. But they, they thought they were in the end times. They, every generation thinks they're in the end times. We think we're in the end times. I think we are. But um, he's saying when the Lord comes back, this is all going to be set straight. So, here's what I saw, and I just want to go over them real quick. Um, James is describing a world of materialism here. There's a difference between prosperity, that's the prosperity of God. I'm not talking about somebody else's prosperity. There's a prosperity that's set forth in the Word of God that's defined clearly. It is God's blessing, and that's God's prosperity. It's not the world's prosperity. The world's prosperity is materialism. Totally different deal. It's based on me. Prosperity is based on him. Uh, materialism is based on my kingdom and my accumulation and my wealth. Prosperity is based on the kingdom of God and what God's doing through those funds. Amen? So, let's look at, and I, I don't have, I believe it's, I believe I have these verses here. The first thing it says is that the riches have rotted. Okay, that's in verse 2. Riches have rotted. What is something that rots? It's something that's dead, right? Dead things rot. So if the first characteristic of somebody that's not using their money right, remember, I'm looking at not, not only rich secular people, but also warnings for us. There's, there, there, there's a warning for us in these scriptures not to misuse funds. Riches have rotted. That means that something is dead. How can funds be dead? It means they're not being used according to the purposes of God. They're set aside and they're, they're for for God's purposes, for the kingdom of God's purposes, they're dead, right? Because they're not being used to build the kingdom of God. The second thing I saw is that the garments are moth-eaten. Okay, their garments, that's also in verse verse 2, right? You may have slightly different words, but um, but my, my translation says they're moth-eaten. Why? How'd they get moth-eaten? Because they've been sitting in the closet. They haven't been used. They've been sitting in, in, a, in the, remember the, the slave that put his money in the ground? Well, it wouldn't get moth-eaten in the ground, but it definitely would get rust there, um, get rotted there. But if it's just sitting, if your funds are just sitting someplace, you know, for your future because you need that money, 
down the road and God can't get through to you to say, you know, uh, we need that money down at Generations Church for a particular project and your, your money's just hanging up in the closet. You know, I'm not accusing you guys because probably all of y'all are generous givers, but but um, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that aren't generous givers. You know what the average giving rate is in the body of Christ? Percentage of income is less than 1%. Less than 1%. And in denominational churches, it's uh, they're the lowest end of the scale. It's like a half a percent or something like that of income goes to the things of God. That, that this is among Christians, people who profess Christianity. It's less than 1% of their funds are going into the kingdom of God. So there's some money hanging up in the closet somewhere. And it's getting moth-eaten. The gold and silver is rusted. How did it get rusted? Because it was sitting someplace and it was exposed to the elements instead of being used in the kingdom of God. If gold and silver go into the kingdom of God, they can't get rusted because in the kingdom of God there isn't any rust, is there? There's no rusting in the kingdom of God. It's only if they're outside the kingdom of God they're going to get rusted. How do you invest in the kingdom of God? By putting money into ministries and different things that God's doing on the earth to establish his covenant. That's how we use the funds that God gives us. Amen? So, um, number four was um, stored up their treasure. So he says, he's saying the rich guys, you stored up your treasure. Um, so you can't do that if you've got it all stored up into a bunch of things that, you know, you've got it set aside and you're, you know, I, I don't say don't be responsible with your funds. You want to set up certain amounts of money so that you're taken care of in the future. You know, you don't want to be a burden to anybody or any of those kinds of things. But but there's a lot of wealthy Christians that have set up millions and millions of dollars. And I'm not criticizing anybody. Everybody has to deal with this on their own, with, you know, with God. Um, but I question if, if, if you're going to need all those millions of dollars, you know, when you're in retirement. And, and there's some right here in Granbury. I'm not knocking any of them, as I, can, as I say, but... Be sure, be sure, if God gives you money, that you don't store it up somewhere. At least a big chunk of it, a generous chunk of it. The Bible says, and over back over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver, somebody that's quick to give, willing to give. That's what a cheerful giver is. Stored up their treasure. And um, if, if we need to have funds stored up, it means we're operating from fear, because we're afraid of something that's going to happen, maybe that God's not going to provide for us when we're older, and so we have to take care of that, and we've got to set money aside. That's operating from fear instead of faith. Um, this rich guy, rich people, they fail to pay their laborers. People do work, and they don't get paid on time. Uh, sometimes Christians don't pay their bills on time or whatever, even though they can. They just are slow about paying or whatever. I have seen, I don't know how many, I've counseled many, many Christian businessmen who are slow with paying their bills, and they have no idea that the people that they haven't paid are struggling to pay their debts and to pay their home expenses and whatever, and they're waiting on their customers to pay them, and the Christians are just as slow pay as the, as the non-Christians. Christians should be quick to pay. Get those, you know, get your money out there and, and pay your bills so that, so that the people who have done work for you aren't struggling. Amen. Um, so, so he failed to pay the, the laborers, and this is something God doesn't like. That's the part where it says God's going to avenge these people. Is He doesn't like it when we don't pay folks that are dependent on us. Um, let's see. We, we don't, we, we, we don't want to ever take advantage of people. This is a hard thing to learn. 
is e even in business, when one Christian is dealing with another Christian, I don't have much time for this, but we, we, we approach doing business with another Christian the same way we would a lot of times as if we're doing business with some with a non-believer. And it's, it's a different deal here. I don't want to drive my brother in a negotiation down to where he's hurting. I, I, I negotiate so hard that he doesn't get a fair end of the bargain, right? We, we need to come to a negotiation where it's good for both of us and not just one of us. You know, I, I, I don't want to put my interest, this is what the Word says, I don't want to put my interest ahead of yours because if I do, then I haven't loved you. So I have to be careful how I negotiate with a Christian businessman. That's another teaching, too. These guys live luxuriously. Um, that word in Greek connotes some kind of female stuff going on. Won't get into that, but um, <laughs> but it's a it's a very interesting word in Greek. Um, but it's talking about an unproductive use of God's money. God gave you money. God made the money available to you. You took it, but instead of using it for the kingdom of God, you used it on on luxurious things. You know. Whatever those things are, they're different for different people. Some people it's a 50,000 square foot house. Somebody else it's a fleet of 10 cars or whatever, you know. Each person has to get before God and find out, God, which part of this is for me and which part of it is for the kingdom of God. You tell me when I can keep something and uh, because I don't want to keep anything. I don't want to have anything that, that, that I'm in charge of that God didn't give me. They led a life of wanton pleasure which goes with a luxurious life. In other words, they're using the money for their own pleasures. And not only are they pleasures, they're wanton pleasures, which is, um, that, that's, a, that's bad morals. And then finally, um, he says at the end there, he's, that these rich guys have condemned and put to death the righteous. My translation says righteous. When I see the word righteous, to me, that's believers. And so that means to me, um, that's in verse 6, you have condemned and put to death the righteous, Man, he does not resist you. He's talking there about these secular, rich Jews who have taken advantage of believers. That's that's my my, my take on it. You could you can argue that. I didn't find that consistently in all the you know all the different commentaries. But for me, the righteous are believers. Jesus died, and we acquired His righteousness, and um, so that's what I see there. I wanted to give you the background for where I come from um, so that you knew that when I jumped into <coughs> the scriptures here that I'm coming from, uh, just, just to end up tonight, I'm coming from a strong mindset that that um, these are not scriptures to discourage us from working as hard as we can to learn the Word of God and to show ourselves approved by learning the word so that we can qualify to be distributors of God's wealth. Everything belongs to God. It's all on consignment here, you know. We're we're stewards, and I've heard different arguments about this, but it's clear to me that everything really belongs to God. We're just here to, to manage what he has. If we look at it as something, you know, all this belongs to us, in, instead of belonging to God, then we're going to, we're going to carry out an operating strategy uh, the wrong way. We have to look at all this as belonging to God. We are his stewards. We need to learn how to be good stewards. It doesn't come naturally to us. 
we can only learn it from the Word because there's ways of operating here that don't seem logical sometimes. It doesn't seem logical that if we negotiate, I don't take advantage of you and try to beat you up and get the cheapest thing I can. But in the kingdom of God, there are ways of doing things that are totally different from the way the world does things. Unfortunately, we as believers mimic to a large extent the way things are going on in the world. We conduct our business sometimes like the ways they do in the world. We think about money the way they do. We tend to be concerned about whether or not we're going to have enough money next month. And we have to fight that. That's the flesh that's doing that. That's the flesh that says, that says you can't trust God. You can't trust God to do the things that he says in this word. Because what happens if he doesn't do them? Well, I don't know. At least I believe God's, uh, the word says it's impossible to believe God without faith. If I see something that he put there in the word, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to act on it. And if it doesn't work out, that's his problem. It's not my problem. You know, it's his problem. He promised it, and he'll make it come to pass. I don't know. If you like me to answer questions, I can do yes, that. Or yes, any questions or comments, guys? Or we can go. I ran a little bit over. but It's all right. It's all right. Yes. Tom. I Two things. Uh, probably more of a comment than a question. One is on the, uh, uh, the verse four, which says the Lord is above. Um, that's a reference in the Old Testament to God, uh, the all-power, omnipotent, sovereign. Where are you? God. I'm sorry. The verse four. Uh, the Lord is above. Oh, okay. It's, that refers back to the Old Testament, where it's referring to God as the omnipotent, sovereign being who does not. Who the injustices does not fall on deaf on his deaf ears. He hears of the injustice, so he's not oblivious to what goes on to the injustice of his people. Amen. Um, the other one is in verse six, where he's talking about having condemned and killed the just, and he does in King James, and he doesn't resist you. And you said murder, but the fact is, is that that's where the the rich have um, the practice, the actual practice of the rich is to take the needy and the poor to court to take what they have, thus having murdered them and left them for financial debt. And um, and that's a uh, and if it's a practice then it's not just a happenstance thing with these rich people that you're talking about in the first five verses. You know, we have a, a lady um, we're counseling back in Miami. I think I started to get into this lady and then I got sidetracked but now, I'm not going to say that she did everything right. Most most people, when they have financial problems, there's some aspect of it that that they did and they got themselves into trouble. But this is a lady who had uh, an addiction. She was a gambling, gambling addiction. And she wound up getting four payday loans. Anybody know what a payday loan is? Yeah. Well, uh, over in Florida, those payday loans, it's against, uh, in Florida, the law is, uh, there, there's a usury law of, 18% for regular commercial business. There's a 30% rule for credit cards. But a payday loan, the interest rate, by the time they get through adding all their charges, could be 390%. And uh, so before long, this lady, really it was just a matter of months, she couldn't pay all the payments. So we counseled her default on all of them. But this is a, this is a, there is an adversarial relationship between, and, and it's borne out in Scripture, the borrower is servant to the lender. There's an adversarial relationship between the financial industry and between consumers. 
all the power seems to be with the banks and the lenders and and all these guys and payday lenders. I mean, this is amazing. Some of those are on Indian reservations and they're not subject to federal law. And that's another issue. I think one of hers is, is one of those. But anyway, we defaulted on all of them and now we're going to try to negotiate a settlement. But this is an example of how the rich, but through the system that we have in this country, um, this is why we feel fulfilled in our ministry, because we're defending people all the time against this kind of stuff. Not that they didn't do wrong. They, they did some wrong. They got themselves in trouble. But we help them stand up against this bullying of the rich, because they'll eat you up. They will take everything you have. They'll go to court. They'll get judgments. They, you'll be garnished for the rest of your life if you don't stand up and say, wait a minute, I need help here. And so that's what we do is, is try to break up that cycle. Hey. Hey. My name is Murphy. All right, anybody else? That's good. I I have to agree as far as saying that pursuing money isn't necessarily a bad thing or wanting to be successful. Um, it's basically how you value money. And, uh, for, uh, <laughs> for example, uh, <coughs> that guy who came up to Jesus, the rich young ruler. Exactly. And, and, Mark uh, chapter ten. And and uh, basically wanted to know how he can enter the kingdom of heaven and being rich. That's all your possessions, and he couldn't do it. So I mean, it, it's more or less how you view money. Like if you if you're just hoarding money just because you want to feel successful or want to feel entitled to yours, and not necessarily just want to lend out or help anybody with it. And it's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach. Not, not trying. He, he, he doesn't try. He taught right. in the parables. Is, is that this is the way you handle money. This is the way you think about money. Or these are the ways. That those, those were the teachings of the parables were not that you shouldn't have money, but that if you're going to have it, don't love it and handle it this way. And if you do that and you'll have those those values, that those, that value structure, then God can make us successful. He wants people to be successful so that more funds are available for the kingdom of God. That's the whole thing is how are we going to use the money? There was a, I forgot the gentleman's name, it was a long while back, and perhaps, he found out that he could live off of, ten, like a, let's just say, a certain amount of money. Um, as he furthered his career, he made twenty uh, percent more, but he always gave away. He always he knew that he can live off ten percent. So he made twenty percent more, he gave away ten percent. As he made thirty percent more, he gave away that twenty percent, and then it just kept growing because he knew that he could live off that ten percent. So he gives away ninety, and he lives on ten. Right. There's several of those. We know a guy that lives on three percent of his his income. He comes a guy that comes here. He says he lives on three percent of his income. I don't know how, but. <laughs> Well, he takes up offerings and yeah. Three percent of the offerings. So, um, I think Pastor Allen spoke about maybe it was the Rockefellers or some gentleman that was wealthy, but he found out when he started giving more away, the wealthier he became. And yeah. he was already a multimillionaire, but when he became that, he started giving more and more away, and he just it just kept coming. I, I, that must be where it's, uh, you just can't out-give God. Mm -hmm. uh, 
has to be, if I could just, do you mind if I qualify that a little bit? Because I agree with what you say. But gifts, giving should be in faith. It can't just be giving out of rote or giving because it makes me a better person. If, if, if I give because I think God sees me as a better person or that I'm more qualified than somebody else, I can run into a problem. It has to be, I mean, this is kind of tricky, you know, but it has to be giving for the right reasons to build the kingdom of God, and it has to be um, giving in faith. It takes faith to please God, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Um, without faith it's impossible to please God. That's a scripture I hang everything on. If I can't connect it to faith, then it's not going to work. If you'll read... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 2 down, that's where it talks about if I give to the poor, uh, without faith, where's my... I mean, I agree with what you say. I'm just qualifying a little bit. Forgive me. 1 Corinthians 13, I believe that's it. It's in between the spiritual gifts. 13, uh, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So if I don't give in love, which drives faith, then it profits me nothing. Amen? Okay. Anybody else? Good. Let's see if, see if anybody called in. Oh, this is Jeff, Alan. That was great. Great teaching. Sorry I wasn't there in person, but it was real good. Good to hear from you. Are you in Pecan? I am. I just got home from work, so. Awesome. Yep, it was good. Well, good. You're able to join us.